0: Life is a spiral ever higher. In this third installment of Exhilarated Life, I propose that we choose how we respond to life's challenges. Are we victim or victor? The spiral? Life's pop quiz on how deep is your learning. How will you apply your lesson now? And now? And now? Excerpt from Exhilarated Life, Discovering Inner Happiness. It's what you make of it. This book is about self-actualization. It is a singularly individual and independent process and integration. The end point is fairly well described by the title, Exhilarated Life. What that means and the evolution to that point are different for me than for you. This is not a well-meaning handbook about how to live happily ever after on an idyllic Greek island. It is about living a life fully realized so that each day, whatever you're doing and wherever you're doing it, is one of health and vitality, intuition and clarity, and the freedom to create each day anew. The time and experience that these stories span begins in King City near Toronto, Canada, a year after my husband's death and ends on the island of Aegina in Greece five years later just after securing my Greek visa and embarking on a whole new adventure with my new love, Ethan. I didn't choose this period for its obvious illustration of dramatic change, but for a single pivotal moment just weeks before George's death that shifted my perspective completely and forever and set these years on an unforeseen trajectory. In that profound moment, the quest for a deeper knowledge that had fired my whole life transformed from the ineffable to the real. Outwardly, I was accomplished, but inwardly, I was a quailing mass of insecurity. This changed everything. It was a moment when George and I accepted that he was about to die, soon. I made a promise to help prepare him for that passage. I also vowed to myself with George's witness that I would from that moment prepare for my own death. Far from being maudlin, It was emancipation, a single beam of light shining through the darkest skies. I would live every day of my life to its fullest. George's love was an immense love. It flung open the doors to life so that I could be all that I was meant to be. And as it turned out, his promise made 27 years before to love me until I loved myself was fulfilled. I was catapulted into a new life, and it is for this reason that the collected stories start there. Too soon to make any sense of it, another love came into my life. I was having dinner with a friend when I mentioned that I had been out of my body for so many years, holding the energy through George's illness and death. I want to dance, I said, I want to learn salsa. My friend smiled in an odd way and she said, I'll ask Ethan. He had just started salsa lessons and said he needed a partner. She went on to describe Ethan as spiritual, respectful, creative, and one who would never do another harm. Somewhat charismatically, she ended with, And if anything happens, it happens. Nothing's going to happen, I rejoined. My husband just died. Ethan entered my life as a friend. He took me gently by the hand, and together we walked through the years of my mourning. Not long ago, I had the clear awareness that it was not too soon after all, but rather it was the only thing that kept me from going insane with grief. Because he was my friend and and a very loving and open nature, I could share my stories about George. There are many odd similarities and coincidences between the two of them, though a half generation apart, the same neighborhood growing up, the same homeroom teacher who told them not to sing but hum the words in Glee Club, and the same fish and chips hang out. And when Ethan ordered a hot dog with just mustard and red onions, I knew something was up. But probably more interesting was their dissimilarity. Friends on either side of us would have described Ethan and me as chalk and cheese, a most unlikely pairing. But the soul knows a great deal about matches that mere convention misses. Ethan had lost his mother in his teens and so was sensitive to the relationship between my sons and me, respectful of the relationship with her father, and very clear with me that he was not an acting replacement. Our friendship had time to grow and eventually flourish to the deep bond of love that it is today. Indeed, it was Ethan who planted the seed for this book. The year after George died, it was clear that I could no longer afford to keep our home. It was in the aftermath of the global financial crisis that saw real estate drop like a stone. I had moved my fledgling business to a nearby town which I thought would be more vibrant, but that also became too costly to maintain. My vision of an internet-based holistic foundation crashed when it was discovered one of the partners of the website, Design Company, had embezzled hundreds of thousands of dollars. I had spent most of my capital on a very comprehensive website which had never quite worked as designed and now all the software coders were gone and my site was unusable. I began to take courses in internet marketing and open source web design. I was determined to see my vision through and ended up wrestling with a web design company to reclaim my own domain name. In the months before George's death, the roof of our beautiful house had begun to leak badly during a storm and before the day was over it had collapsed in several places. Water flooded all floor levels. The damage was everywhere and we called in contractors. We had to move out of the house for a week while they worked. It was as if they sensed the weakness and stress in the household because acting as one, they tore apart their sections and then when everything was in disarray, demanded more money to finish. We had paid the general contractor in advance and when we challenged challenged him, he just walked off the job. By this time, George was in such critical condition that we just left the house unfinished. I would experience the unscrupulousness of contractors again and even end up in court with one. Then I had to use our little remaining capital to fix the house in order to put it on the market the year following George's death. The house would be on the market for two years before its one and only offer. In the meantime, a wealthy businessman in another city offered me a position. We had met during the negotiations of the sale of our company when George was alive. He had bought a business and said he just knew I would be the perfect one to run it. I was naive enough to think this was based on my marketing expertise, to which he was a witness, rather than my recent widowhood. However, I demurred each succeeding year until the third time he asked and added the offer of partnership. I was on very shaky ground financially, the house was, had still hadn't sold, and so I leapt at the opportunity. Ethan and I drove the 500 miles to the city and met a rather surprised president, who was told that we were there to turn the place around. I should have known something was up when my benefactor offered me a ride and lunged for a kiss in the darkness of the underground parking lot. I overlooked it as a professional towards a dirty but essentially harmless old man. He had a huge reputation, and I trusted his offer of shares in the business. I would find out later, when I was nearly broke, having spent all our own money, that he had offered the same thing to three other parties, and then went off with his wife and family to his farm in Tuscany to watch which group won out. I really started panicking because the bank had not allowed me to mortgage the house earlier on, and now all my capital was gone. I had no income. It was then that a notable artist suggested I would do well as an artist manager. Again, I grasped the opportunity, pitting my marketing skills, confidence, and need to succeed against more sound judgment of avoiding the inherently quixotic art market during a global financial meltdown. It was at this frantic juncture that I almost made the fateful mistake of encumbering my house with a second mortgage, which most certainly would have ended up with a house in receivership and me walking away holding my son's hands and only what our arms could carry. I had my hand on the phone when in a flash of instinct I said no. I also said no to my agent who recommended I drop the price. I knew from experience the kind of people that are attracted to the duress of others and I wasn't going to let myself in for that humiliation. As if the universe had heard, the house sold within weeks at nearly the asking price and for the highest price ever recorded in our neighborhood. But I wasn't out of the woods yet. I was so relieved to call the bank to tell them the good news and arrange bridge financing to hire a moving firm for a down payment on a rental or purchase. To my astonishment, the bank refused. Once again, I had encountered someone who enjoyed wielding power over others. I had a house with hardly any mortgage on it and a sale ready to close in six weeks and absolutely no money except for food. I was behind in taxes and owed on the utilities bill. That was it. I was done with being the victim of the lousiest kind of human nature. I wrote an email to the CEO of the bank with the subject line, slow bludgeoning by bank employee, and detailed at length how the global banking system in general and this bank in particular were responsible for the gradual demise of my personal financial position. Within hours I had a response from a VP and the landscape of my life changed dramatically. I secured the bridge financing, the sale of the house closed, all debts were paid off and then I faced the next hurdle. Where to now? Ethan a creative marketing entrepreneur, and I decided to build on our efforts in the art world and rented a place in the cultural epicenter of Toronto. We had made meager inroads in innovative art marketing and sales in an industry that is at an understatement to call quirky. We even created a publishing company and published several art-related books. Along with wonderfully enduring friendships and associations with most of our creative world, we encountered corrosive egos and again found someone we trusted acting behind our backs. Instead of just parting ways, the aftermath was vicious. It was a costly mistake, both financially and emotionally. People say never do business with friends. Yet, I disagree. I just became much more discerning in whom I call friend and with whom I do business. I learned a vital lesson from these two characters, consecutive as they were at a time of my vulnerability. It was this. When people acquire power either by wealth or fame, they are often driven by some lack in their own life and wielding power over others is usually compensatory. Those who are attracted to perceived safety under his or her graces are easily manipulated and exploited. Like any good survival show, the cross purposes of all those who would gain favor are a tangle of competing and desperate forces. Pitting one against the other and watching the play is sustenance for these types of ego. It was only in blushing retrospect that I saw the game and my place in it. I was naively drawn in by promises that neither could keep. It was not in their nature, nor was it their purpose. Ultimately, our successes in the art world were meaningful and fulfilling. However, My heart had gone out of the challenge and a whole new adventure lay open on the horizon. One where I would gather up all forces and influences, lessons and skills and find myself worthy of my own personal attention. This book is a result of that trust and evolving self-belief. I offer these stories as a bridge of understanding so that you can see beyond where you are now. There is no single book or workshop or pill or incantation that cuts out the process. The process is where you get to love yourself just the way you are. Embrace it. Embrace yourself. I have deliberately placed these stories in the chronology in which they were written because it shows a certain progression. On the other hand, as I have worked on this compilation, I have found that some of these were letters to my future self, offering a map of sorts. Your wisdom is within you now. All I offer is a light to show you the way. Use this book as a companion, one that you can call on any time and open at any page. I was guided as I wrote and I trust you will hear the words that you need to hear at any given moment. This is by no means a claim that this book has mystical properties, but a conviction gained from experience that as we clarify our intention to self-actualization, the synchronicity of the universe conspires to help us in the most subtle but sublime ways. Songs, a chance meeting, random words at a moment of need will resonate and assure you that you are indeed no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. Happiness is a state that raises the vibrancy of the physical body and lets our true nature shine. You are the spark from the brilliant flame of all that has ever been created and all that may ever be created. When you know that for yourself you will find your place in the world and life will be sweet, happy and well, exhilarated. MH If you enjoyed this chapter please follow me on Thrive Global as I share exhilarated life discovering inner happiness in chapters weekly. Or you can begin your own journey right away. Click the link below. Buy Accelerated Life, Discovering Inner Happiness on Amazon now, in paperback or on Kindle. Follow Accelerated Life where you like to spend the most time. On Spotify, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter or LinkedIn. Thanks so much for spending this time with me.